This piece was brought to you by Roberta's, robertaspizza.com. We asked our hosts what Heritage Radio Network means to them. Listen in to hear what they had to say. Hi, everybody. This is Carrie Diamond, host of Radio Cherry Bomb, and I'm here to tell you why I love Heritage Radio. It's all Dave Tattashore, 100%. It's what keeps me coming back every Thursday. I pretend it's pizza. I pretend it's the bomb squad, but it's Dave. Do your part to keep Heritage Radio Network alive by supporting our summer drive at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Welcome to HR and Happy Hour. It's 5 o'clock somewhere, and somewhere is Bushwick. I'm Kat Johnson, and I'm here with my co-host, Katie Mosman-Wadler. Hey, guys. Hey. I'm um, feeling a little under the weather today, so sorry if my voice sounds weird. I'm pulling an Ira glass. I know, but the show must go on, Kat. Absolutely. <laughs> Kat was like, can I stay home today? And I was like, no, come in and do the show. <laughs> Not really. So just uh, pitch my voice a little, David, so that sounds normal. Okay, I'm on it. <laughs> Um, so we're going to start this week with some rapid fire headlines from our shows this past week. And then, um, I'm going to share a little bit about my trip to Denver last weekend. And, um, before we get into that, I want to introduce our special in-studio guests who, if you've ever had an avocado toast, we're pretty sure you've maybe heard of them. We have Henry Roberts. Welcome, Henry. Hi. And also Giles Russell. Hi, Giles. G'day. From, uh, Two Hands Restaurant and Bar. You may have been able to tell that uh, they're Australian. Uh, but these guys have an <laughs> elevated coffee selection, a warm atmosphere, and fresh cuisine over at Two Hands. And we're really excited to have you on the show today. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having us. Stoked to be here. We are excited, too. Um, so they're going to tell us a little bit more about themselves and how they, their Australian culture influences their food and the cozy cafe style. Um, and as always, you know me. We are going to wrap it up with some trivia questions, and it's going to be American and Australia-themed. <laughs> so get ready. <laughs> but first, as always, we have the HRN headlines for the week. David, can you cue up our stressful news music? Here we go. Um, so this week on Cooking Issues, Dave and Nastasia are back to offer us a plethora of information to help us further feed our heads. They discuss the merits or demerits of having old-school arcade games in bars, also, um, quote-unquote, alternative ketchups, xanthan gum, adding habanero peppers to buttercream frosting, the dress code at Roberta's, that's a really special segment, um, welding, seltzer, vacuum sealing, garlic, Fahrenheit versus Celsius measurements in cooking, and also, of course, an update on the Spinzol. So, uh, as always, a, a hyper-focused episode of Cooking Issues. Tune in if you want to hear about uh, one particular thematic they get laser laser focus (laughs) i did see a picture that he posted at the spins all so it's like it's getting real i think you can order it again now Um, they're in production nice um on the food scene we gather around the smoldering embers emanating from meta a cozy wood-fired restaurant in brooklyn's fort green chef noberto pietoni and owner henry rich work without gas to create an atmosphere lit up by menu highlights like slow roasted lamb Smoked carrots, charred beets, short rib steaks with chimichurri, and a sweet potato dessert cooked in ash. 
Once the smoke clears, you'll also find a full gamut of complex and layered flavors developed through exploratory forms of fermentation, pickling, and curing, constructing a whole new power source for their food and glowing aura. I'm especially excited about this episode because I'm going to Meta tonight. I'm jealous. Also, big shout out to Meta for being part of our Charity Buzz auction during our summer membership drive. We are super grateful, and we hope that you will all go enjoy some amazing wood-fired treats there. Um, So as the future of school lunch becomes an even more pressing issue than typical, um, this week on Japan Eats, Akiko is joined by Atsuko Quirk, who's a documentary filmmaker and environmental activist. Her recent short documentary, School Lunch in Japan, has over 9 million views on YouTube and has been widely inspirational, showing the importance of quality of the mealtime to many in shaping a public school community. It's really cool to see um, kind of different school lunch approaches around the world. And I, I got to see some school lunches in Italy last summer. And um, with uh, what I've seen of the documentary trailer, um, school lunch in Japan is also a very thoughtful time where they're incorporating students into kind of all aspects of the meal prep. So I think that we should take some notes from them. And speaking of food and, food and community, this week's Eat Your Words, Kathy's, Kathy Irway is joined by sociologist Michael Car- Carillon, author of the book No One Eats Alone. His book looks at how injecting empathy into our foodscapes is key to equitable and sustainable food, which we care a lot about. He argues that we need to change our relationship with food by getting to know the people who grow, pick, slaughter, transport, package, cook, market, and sell what we eat. And finally, on Recommended Reading with Food Book Fair, we are joined by the team of New York City's first annual food waste fair, including the chef Mary Cleaver of the Cleaver Co. So this event is coming up on July 25th at the Brooklyn Expo Center. They're going to showcase a soup-to-nuts approach to food waste prevention, recovery, and recycling. And um, everybody should definitely go check this out. I got to go to a preview, uh, which had some amazing uh, food waste-related treats um, including these amazing whey popsicles from White Mustache. So go there for popsicles and also to learn about food waste in New York City. So with that, um, we're going to talk about some more events. Um, Kat, can you start off and tell us about your trip to Denver and everything that happened at Slow Food Nations? Well, it was a whirlwind trip. I left on Friday night and got in really early Saturday morning. Um, and was there Saturday and Sunday for a few panels and interviewing some really awesome people that were involved. This was the first Slow Food Nations. Um, It was an international festival um, hosted by Slow Food USA in Denver. Um, It was my first time in Denver, and it's a great city. I really want to go back. (laughs) What sound effect is that? I'm not sure what that's supposed... Oh, I did drink some beer while I was there. That took me a second. Um, Sounded like a penguin. He <laughs> was shaking his head. <laughs> we, we really missed that. It's a bong, guys. Um, it's I, a bong. I was going to oh. say that, but I didn't want to give myself away. Uh, I did walk into a dispensary, yeah. but with two days, I'm, like that was not something that I was going to get, get into. I did go to Crooked Stave and have really good sour beer. Um, but back to the festival. Um, <laughs> I, I entered my... Some of my favorite people that I interviewed were um, Howard Conyers, who is a South Carolina whole hog pit master by night. By day, he is a NASA scientist. (laughs) Um, He was so cool, and I'm excited to share that interview. Um, And we recorded some awesome panels as well. Um, It was a great weekend full of really good food. And I want to thank Liz for helping me with getting those panels and interviews ready to be put online for everyone to listen to. 
<laughs> did you see Jack Johnson? I did not see Jack Johnson. But you have the same last name. I know. We're related. I mean, you I see be. him at the family reunions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw that he did a special dinner for the Good Food 100. Uh, Sarah Brito posted some photos with him. Um, so I was looking for you in the pictures. Aww. I was running I was running all over the place trying to get this all done. Shout out to my boyfriend Will for coming with me and helping me out because it was a lot to do in a short amount of time. Thank you, Will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Cool. Well, I'm glad to have you back. <laughs> me too. Every time you go away now, since you got back from Italy, I'm like, no, don't go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm staying put for a while, thank you. Okay, goodness. good. Um, well, guys, uh, restaurant week is coming up. So uh, you better get on open table ASAP to get your reservations. Um, the week is starting on between, wait, this says between the 24th and August 18th. But that's because restaurant week Last. is a lot yeah. longer than one actual week. <laughs> so um, you should check out the listing. They've um, got some favorites on there, Gotham Bar and Grill, Scarpetta, but also some newcomers on the list like Mission Chinese, Wolfgang Puck's Cut. Uh, Feast, Porcena, and Union Square Hospitality's Untitled. And um, it's going to be a delicious uh, week slash, what is that, four weeks? Yeah. Um, so get on there. It's a good time to try some restaurants that might be kind of out of your normal price range for a weekday. Uh, also, extra shout-outs to Porcena because I ate there again the other night. Um, it's on 7th Street. It's actually just, like, two doors down from Jimmy's number 43. Jimmy Carboni hosts Beer Sessions Radio and Heritage Radio Network. Um, also, hey, hey, hey. Yeah, <laughs> that Jimmy. Um, hey, so you hey, can hey, go I'm to Porcena and have, like, amazing homemade pasta and delicious meats and charcuterie and, like, cheese. And then you can go over to Jimmy's and have some really cool beers. Uh, poured from his very clean tap lines. That he uh, He's part of the Clean Beer Project, and I just saw he posted his lines being cleaned again the other day. Um, anyway, but also Sarah Jenkins from Porcena is doing the food for my wedding, so I'm really super excited. So I've been, I've been studying by going there to eat pasta. <laughs> and uh, this is Hannah. I am the membership coordinator at Heritage Radio Network, and I'm here to talk about money. <laughs> so there are only 12 days left of our summer fun drive, which is ending on July 31st. Uh, we want to say thank you to everyone who donated to help us reach our $20,000 goal, but we still have about $4,000 to go, and we need your help. HRN and all of your favorite shows are made possible by contributions from listeners like you and, of course, our amazing sponsors. If you haven't already, please open your computer or phone and head on over to heritageradionetwork.org. Click the beating heart at the top right corner of your screen and make a tax-deductible donation. Yeah. You'll be ensuring that the world's only food radio station stays on the air and in your earbuds. Thanks in advance. Yay. Thank you, everybody. We really appreciate you. All right, now we want to welcome once again our two guests today, Henry Roberts and Giles Russell of Two Hands. For those of you who don't know, there is both a Two Hands Cafe in Nolita and a Two Hands restaurant and bar in Tribeca. The menus take inspiration from Australian cuisine, serving nutritious and balanced foods that are meant to be enjoyed with friends. Love that. Through Australian cuisine and a warm atmosphere, Giles and Henry create a new community space for their guests to escape to. Two Hands has also been featured in notable media outlets, including the New York Times, Bon Appetit, New York Magazine, Scrub Street, and Vogue.com. Fancy. <laughs> Good day, guys. 
G'day. <laughs> G'day, mate. <laughs> oh, you're a dying Let's play put that. another shrimp on the barbie. Oh. Was that Dave? Oh, no. That's Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, Henry and Giles, I want to start off just asking you um, about your culinary background and also how the two of you met. Uh, well, uh, our culinary background doesn't go too deep um, experience-wise, but we both have a very good eye and love for food, and we've always loved to cook from home. We've had a little bit of experience. We had a little bit of experience before we opened um, in uh, in the catering business and also in bars and restaurants and cafes back home. Um, but we like to kind of consider ourselves as, as a bit of all-rounders, um, and we call it like the caf- the cafe man. <laughs> or the, the Kaffman. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and we, we, we still to this day can't really remember exactly when we met for the first time, but we did know each other from back home and, uh, and our circle of friends did, uh, did know each other. And we kind of, you know, saw it, as you do in Sydney, it, it is a, a big-ish city, but it becomes such a small town when you grow up there that everyone, once you leave school especially, kind of interrelates and... You know, you see the same girls from the same schools and you go out at the same places. And so you kind of all interrelate. And um, so we, we, we met a few times through friends of friends and whatnot. Um, Henry was in a very popular band for about three months there, which uh, had probably three and a half gigs, <laughs> of which I uh, attended was it ACDC? all of them. <laughs> He was a side band for the side band to ACDC. <laughs> oh, yeah, um, we, uh, we attended those. And Henry told me he was off to the States uh, on a road trip and then he landed in New York. And when I arrived six months later, he was one of the first people I uh, gave a shout out to. And we met up for a beer in Brooklyn and I asked him what he was up to. And he said he was working at a bar in Soho and had an idea to open a, a cafe with really good coffee and some good sourdough bread. And I said I was on that bandwagon and w- as well and I wanted to open a cafe. And so two years of putting our heads down and asking a million and one questions to all the right people and some wrong people. <laughs> <laughs> and we uh, and we opened the cafe. And it just, I think we just like to cook at home and make simple food, veg- pretty vegetable forward avocado toast is two ingredients one bread and one avocado so uh yeah we i think our love of food and our uh, enjoyment of cooking it just was just born from cooking at home so we just wanted to bring that to a little corner of soho (laughs) what's uh the story behind the name two hands um the name itself it 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 kind of it will as you do when you're naming anything a dog a band a you know a cafe <laughs> you go through a million and one ideas and w- and we were trying to like mash our names together mash our mum's middle names together <laughs> and uh, you know we, ca- we came up with a million and one different ideas and and I was I remember being at work and I was behind the bar and two hands came into my head and then shortly after the the movie came into my head which which not everyone knows but it's Heath Ledger's first like feature film which was set in Sydney um, in King's Cross mainly, and uh, featuring Rose Byrne as well. Shout out to Rose Byrne, love her. <laughs> um, Who doesn't? <laughs> and uh, and it's this great kind of cult film now, um, 
And uh, so I was like, oh, that'll be great homage to home, but it's not in your face. You know, it's we not- wanted to be Australian, but not like obviously Australian. We yeah. didn't want to call ourselves like the Koala Cafe, but it was obvious <laughs> that like everything that we were doing was born and like inspired by Australia. You don't live in Australia for 24 years and then not be like inspired by it. And also we found that moving to New York, there wasn't anywhere that was like our cafes at home. Just like a really easy place to stop off in the morning or at lunchtime and get a coffee and like a really simple, healthy bite to eat. There was a whole bunch of good coffee shops and they you know, could get a croissant or a donut and obviously a whole bunch of incredible restaurants in New York, but most of them like serve terrible coffee. And so we just kind of wanted to, you know, join, join the two together, like simple good food with good coffee in a really casual environment. And... And two hands spoke to that because we wanted to make the coffee ourselves. So I was using two hands to do that, make the food ourselves. We also like had a big interest in like design and build. So we wanted to build the cafe ourselves, which we did. We did, it was just Henry and I and like one Albanian contractor, <laughs> and we did it. And it took four months to to pull Two Hands Cafe together. And so it really like it was born of of two hands the idea from henry and the inspiration of like heath ledger and and his cafe five leaves in in brooklyn which we both loved and you know heath growing up was definitely like an inspiration for any aussie kid he was he was a movie star um and so it was you know paying homage to him but then also the fact that like if you do something with your own two hands it means you really like put your all into it you put like a a bit of love into it no one makes like a cake with their two hands or a house with their two hands and they don't care about it so it was you know we really wanted to reflect that in in like what we were doing that we did really care about the cafe that we were building and I you know I feel that the people get that tell me the difference between the cafe and the restaurant um for us I think it was an an exploration into what we could do next after doing the cafe and seeing seeing the success there we wanted to branch out and and try new things which which meant like trying a full a full menu a full liquor menu and uh being open for dinner service as well um so that was kind of like the main the main um elevation from the cafe to the restaurant um we wanted them to speak to each other but we also initially wanted them to be different and sit alone. We wanted them to have the same name, um, but be two different like explorations of our creativity. Um, and we kind of called it like you know the big, the big more mature sister to the cafe. Um, and I, I still, they still do sit very, um, very separate from each other. But we've also tried to like mold them um, and speak to each other as much as possible. Um, and I think that's kind of the plan for the future as well always do yeah like a different version of the same concept which is like a place that you can call home i think like two hands cafe was the menu was written by henry and i and as we said before we're not trained chefs we're just home cooks and so the food is very much that it's a home homely australian food it's stuff that you'd make at home on the fly it's your avocado toast it's acai bowls corn fritters you know eggs scrambled eggs on toast a quick salad um and you know we do like a bunch of juices and smoothies and just like really simple healthy understandable food and that's the type of food that henry and i like made for ourselves 
in New York. And so we figured if we enjoyed eating it every day, then hopefully someone in New York would also. We had enough Australian friends that we felt that maybe they could fill the cafe for the first few days. (laughs) (laughs) And then maybe more people would come because they saw other people in the cafe, which um, worked (laughs) partly. So after that, we thought, well, this isn't really a reflection of what's happening in Australia on a from a food standpoint there are some incredible cafes in australia and we call them cafes but as far as a new yorker and like a someone from the states or europe would be concerned like these cafes are restaurants Mm -hmm. they the detail that goes into that food and thought and the process is insane they're yeah henry you were saying this that makes me think of this that you're saying that in the states, when people think of Australian cafe, they they think it's become like a popular brunch thing. Mm. Specifically, do how do you feel about that? Do you want to like change that perception, or are you like you're like cool, like cool brunch food's awesome. Let's go with it. Well, I think for us, like we wanted to create like a community focused cafe, like a you know like a kind of where everyone goes in the morning, they feel comfortable, they know the name of the barista, the barista that knows their name, knows their order, like that kind of neighborhood spot um, that isn't just specific to like brunch or like going there for brunch, which is not like I was mentioning to you earlier, isn't a thing that happens in Australia. Like brunch isn't as <laughs> as big of a really? thing than it is here. It's very no. new. You yeah. go back to Australia now and it's like brunch and you're like, like mimosas. Ah, <laughs> that's weird. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like this is just normal. Like you don't have to, that's funny that like, so much of what is in Australia is in, in Australia is influenced by the states, and it's like it's impossible not to be influenced by mm. like you know the biggest nation culture in the world. But Australian food hasn't been influenced up until the last like five years by the states and what they're doing, which made it so amazing. It was like this mixture of Asian and some like Italian and Greek and Spanish, and then also like some you know anywhere like literally like australia is made up of like all the nations of the world and and you know you have like vietnamese mums you know marrying like uh argentinian dads and their like daughter grew up like cooking this like weird fusion food and then she went to france and learned how to cook there and then she came back to australia and made breakfast food (laughs) and you had this like (laughs) incredible mix of everything but it like how it turned out was just like really produce driven you know really thoughtful in like where that produce came and that that produce was good for you and that when you ate it it tastes good but then when you left you felt good and i think that's something new for new york which like we're trying to bring to the brunch scene as opposed to us being categorized as brunch food it's like no hopefully we're recategorizing what brunch is because Mm -hmm. the brunch that i ate in new york when i first got here and i loved because it was so different to uh, Australia was like waffles and pancakes Heavy. and bacon and maple syrup and all of this amazing <laughs> like sugary foods yeah. which for the first six weeks is amazing but then you feel lethargic and you are fat and <laughs> <laughs> and you and you think to yourself like why do I feel like so terrible and it's because you're putting terrible food into your body and you you know the consequences come pretty shortly afterwards so what Henry and I wanted to do was just like make healthy food and if people love that for brunch then that's epic we you know we want more and more of that it's you know you spoke briefly during those uh, announcements about like the passion for like 
getting food from a good place, but also like food waste. And then also like the idea of school lunches and that people should be eating healthy from an early age. Now they're all things that Two Hands cares so much about. And it is the restaurant's responsibility, especially in New York, because everyone is eating at restaurants to change how people are thinking about food and what they're putting into their mouths, because that's going to change so many aspects of our world for the positive. And so if becoming a brunch spot is, is what Two Hands has become, then that's amazing. I think that's uh, like, that's the best thing. Giles or Henry, would you say that there is an Australian national cuisine? This is something that, you know, we get us a lot here as kind of a nation of immigrants. What, what would you say? Yeah, that's a tough one. It, it's, I mean, it's a tough one to explain when I, when people ask what I do and I say, I own like some restaurants in New York and I say, what kind of restaurant? I uh, was, well, you know, it's a tough question to answer because we're Australian. We obviously have that, you know, and, the, and people are looking for a cuisine, but like Giles was saying, it's so, multicultural and because the the population of Australia is so small that those influences resonate so much so you know you can you know lamb's obviously a big thing that is eaten in Australia and New Zealand um, that isn't so much here so like a, a, a really well done lamb dish is pretty Australian a barbecue and not not to be kind of confused with the same sort of barbecue that you'd see down south um, in Australia where you just kind of like meat and three veg from the barbecue is, you know, a pretty common thing as well. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, you can, there's obviously kangaroo meat, which, you know, to be <laughs> honest, I, my mum never cooked for me when I was growing up as, as a standard kind of dish. And, you know, kangaroos are pests. Yeah. So it's like eating it a is rat. a big rodent. Yeah. Right? That's yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it can, it can be cooked well and, and there are some elevated, Australian chefs, you know, restaurants and, and chefs that are, that do really good stuff with that real kind of hardcore bush tucker. Mm. That's really a cool. <laughs> Ren, like Rene Redzepi was just in uh, Australia and did Noma in Sydney and mm -hmm. like almost redefined what like Australian <laughs> cuisine was because he went out there and he like foraged like everywhere from top to bottom, like left to right, up and down and found some like Australian food uh, that is native to Australia, which I think is incredible. I think like to what Henry said, uh, Australia is not, oh, pasta, oh, pizza, oh, ramen. Like it's produce, it's single ingredients that are really, really like grown well or you know farmed well so lamb is an example beef is another example much of the like the beef that uh we eat in america is potentially from australia it's a huge export of australia um avocado is another one <laughs> um which is obvious but, but isn't then, there a specific kind of like lobster that's very yeah, um yabby Yabby? There's a yeah, yeah, it's like a small kind of like. Yeah. But again, mum never made that. <laughs> <laughs> My mum was a fantastic cook, but yeah, that kind of stuff wasn't as. More restaurant. Yeah. 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 And it yeah. totally depends on the house that you grew up in, yeah. right? Like yeah. where your parents like came from and, and you know, who your parents were friends with as well. Like I had a lot of um, like family who were British. So we like ate kind of that like British inspired, like simple food. And, but then we had you know, um, English language students come over and say at our house and they were Japanese or Vietnamese or Thai. And so suddenly we'd start eating all this like amazing Asian food and my mom's cooking would be inspired by that. And I'd go out and like find restaurants uh, in Australia. Like 
there's much of what's happened in that like Southeast Asian cuisine in Australia is almost totally different to what you find in, in Thailand. Like a lot of people say Thai food and Vietnamese food is better in Australia. Now it's not better because like we do it better. It's just better because it's different. Mm-hmm. So I think it's as opposed to like, oh, there's like one cuisine. It's like a million cuisines turned into like an Australian like, m- you know, multicultural fusion of everything. <laughs> Much like it is here. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, it's just newer. We're only like, we're 200 years old as a, versus America, which is over 400 years old. So we're mm-hmm. still finding ourselves. Yeah. That sounds weird. Uh, <laughs> well, let's take, let's take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, let's talk more about Australia. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Thank you, Roberta's. All right, we're back. We are back with, I'm sorry, guys, Henry Roberts and Giles <laughs> Russell. I, I knew I was going to get like the last name switched somehow. Um, they are from Two Hands, and welcome back, guys. Thank you. Thank you. So I have some Australian friends and sometimes they tell me about foods that they ate when they were kids and I can't tell if they were messing with me. So I want to ask you if a couple of things are real. How do you know we're not going to mess with you? <laughs> I hope that you do actually. Fair point. Fair I hope you point. tell me something like really strange that I can go back to them with though. Okay. Um, little boys. What? 
People ate little boys. Okay, see, I told you that my silly friends said that uh, that was what you call like um, the little cocktail weenies. Little you know boys. what I'm talking about? Like teddy bears? No, no, no. Like teddy bear. The, like, you the so- Vienna sausages. sausages. Tiny little sausages. Yeah. Oh no, they're called um, weenies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. Correct. So they were they were wrong, my friends. Yeah. No. Nah, you. No. Nah, like, okay. I think. You, people would have called them that because oh. little boys. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because like wieners. No. Yeah. Sausage rolls. But that's oh, no, they're a, wait. the little ones. I Isn't get it. Isn't a sausage because roll with pastry? They're called little boys because they're little wieners, <laughs> and so they're little boys. That's totally okay. something that would have happened. Oh, careful the drink. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> what you need yeah. to what you some definitely need here. to learn about Australia is that. Anything can be turned into anything, and most gotcha. things will be turned into some sort of slang about a penis. <laughs> Noted. So that okay. one I can confirm. Okay, next one. <laughs> I have another one for you. Um, fairy bread. Yeah, that, yeah that that's, a, that's a real thing. Yeah. <laughs> and it's fucking delicious. <laughs> Is fairy bread something that you would serve at Two Hands, maybe on a really nice sourdough? No, it no, doesn't. It it's doesn't gotta be work. Bad. What is it? It's Does gotta, it have to be Wonder Bread? It's on the Wonder base? Bread. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, white sugary bread with butter. Of butter. Yeah, bad butter. Like just like margarine. Like, margarine? like you can't believe it's on butter margarine. <laughs> I can't believe it. And yeah, <laughs> and um and hundreds of thousands. Yeah, cut, and and, cut and you into might have triangles. to tell our to friends what hundreds triangles. of thousands are because we also have a different yeah, name know. for that. Sprinkles. Uh, yeah. 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 And that's, and thousands. that's what? at every single birthday party. birthday party until you're about ten years old. So you get that, sometimes that, later. Is that in lieu of in cake? lieu of cake? No, no, no there's no. cake as well. It's a snack before the cake. Is it like, would you eat a savory and then fairy bread and then cake? If fairy bread is at your birthday party, nothing is savory. Really? <laughs> you are. Maybe the little boys that I know. Thank you, Dave. Okay, so you would just eat like candy and fairy bread. Yeah. Maybe some fairy floss. Diabetes is a full yeah, you're problem don't call in Australia. It yeah, you're so healthy. We call it loll- lollies. Lollies. Yeah, yeah. But what if it's not on a stick? It's a lollipop. A no, lollipop a, what? or a chubba chump. This is <laughs> one brand. <laughs> yeah, lollies is everything. Sweets, but mostly lollies. So, like, if I had Anything. a bowl of M and M's. They're M and M's. That's chalky. Chalky's. <laughs> chalky. <laughs> There's not okay, slang so for everything. If I happen to have like an Australian kid's birthday party to throw, it's gonna be just fairy bread. Hundreds and thousands on <laughs> on, on bread. fairy fairy bread. Cherry ripe, that's a thing. Cherry ripe's yep. a thing. Yeah, Coke cake. bottles, you know the Coke bottles. The yeah. gummy candies. The, the the gummy thing? candies. Where you bite yeah. off the end and Mm-mm. No, it's just yeah. a gummy candy it's shape just like, like a gummy candy. Oh, oh, okay. yeah, so that's a thing. Yeah. Cool. We have all right, like that all the American like candies. Sugar well. overload. Yeah. Did you but guys we, do lolly bags? Like when you what? left the party, you get a lolly bag. We call them um, party favors. Do you put other things? <laughs> other than sexual. <laughs> does it? Oh, I party guess party it does. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you. That was uh, my Australian slang clarification session. Really appreciate that. <laughs> okay. So. Um, 
There are a number of Australian restaurants in New York these days. I, I um, am in the neighborhood of Flinders Lane mm-hmm. a lot where they serve kangaroo and many like typically Australian things. Um, what's Do you think that there's a trend towards Australian cafes and restaurants opening here, or is this just because there are millions of restaurants in New York? I think that I, it's one and both to say that Australian food was never represented in America until I think Eight Mile Creek, which was on Mulberry Street, which is now closed, was the first. It might not have been, but I'm going to say it was. Mm-hmm. It's the first that I know. And then Ruby's opened, which was like Australian-ish. It served like burgers, which were Australian-inspired, um, but you wouldn't really find an Australian cafe or restaurant doing what Ruby's did. But it obviously like brought the Australian like cafe culture to um, New York. And then that, like, it was like 10 years went by, and then like Flinders Lane opened and Bluestone Lane opened and, and we opened and, and then like this explosion of the cafe culture, which is I think the most unique to Australia. Um, so I, I, you know, like there's Ethiopian restaurants and like mm-hmm. every single nation in the world almost has like a restaurant, um, you know, represented in New York, especially if it has a strong food culture, which Australia does. So it was only natural for Australians to bring that over. And on top of that, about 10 years ago, give or take, uh, there was like a visa that was created specifically for Australians who... Um, for the you, French. For, it, was, it was apparently stolen from the French because they didn't go to Iraq. And so these uh, visas were given to Australia as a part of like a free trade agreement. Um, and so suddenly Australians had like access to America above and beyond like what they had before um, and all you needed was a college education or like 12 years experience in your field. And um, that just made it really easy for Australia to like jump, Australians to jump over the, the jump pond. The, the pond, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so to speak. And, and, and bring like uh, New York, our style of food, which I think is really exciting because you've seen the cafe culture um, in the last five years, but hopefully what you see in the next, you know, five, ten, you know, forever, as long as this visa exists. Um, scary <laughs> uh, is um, is the other you know other types of Australian food. Flinders Lane um, does like a nice mix of a little everything, but you know Australian style Vietnamese, Australian style Thai food. Um, I mean Momofuku went to Australia and did Japanese. Now there's a totally different type of Japanese that comes is in Australia. Like sushi train is like a whole different thing in Australia to what is is in New York. So hopefully that you know that all comes over mm-hmm. soon as well because you know the more more good food the merrier. I agree. And along with the cafe culture, curious uh, what you guys do at Two Hands. Um, do you allow tipping? Do you encourage tipping? Do you have any policies? And what do you think about the kind of baby movement that's happening here? No comment. Nah, we 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 obviously come from a no tipping culture, um, and now with our opening a business here and dealing with the tipping um, system, we definitely the the both of us definitely think that there is a better system, and that is the system that's kind of evolving at the moment. Um, you know, through Danny Meyer and 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 such, and so. We, we're kind of still doing our research and looking into it. Um, but, you know, from a business standpoint, managerial standpoint, I think it's definitely easier f- 
for restaurants as as time as the time goes on and as we become more experienced that the the hospitality included system is 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 probably a better system mm-hmm. because it equally rewards both sides mm-hmm. and i think from growing up in australia we get paid like so luckily like an exceedingly high uh minimum wage it's very expensive to live in australia but uh you know we're lucky enough that like straight out of school 18 years old you're making 20 dollars an hour in a cafe now you're not um, making many tips on top of that but mm. to know that you're definitely making $20 an hour means that you know that you're going to be able to afford rent and food and et cetera, et cetera. what is difficult to understand in New York is that we continue to expect amazing food yet we continue to like punish the people that are making it mm-hmm. the people that are making it at the end of the day, if they didn't exist, we wouldn't even be going to the restaurants. The server's job is to serve their food. Mm-hmm. Now, to encourage these people to make a career out of making amazing food, paying them $11 an hour for the first 10 years of their career, unless they're incredibly dedicated, they're just going to drop out and do something else. And so uh, I think there needs to be a serious rethink of how we reward this industry because we're going to quickly find that people are, are dropping we are finding that people are like dropping out of this profession and it's really hard to find good cooks and so if servers deserve to make you know the amount of money that they make then it's 50 50 the, the the back of house cooks and, and and prep cooks and and dishwashers and all of those people should uh be able to make the same and so we're working on how we make that work at two hands because we do believe um that that's the fairest way to do it yeah well, I wish you the best. Thank and, you. And uh, anything that we can do to help around, you know, changing that culture. I think it's a conversation that we have a lot here. And um, we've spoken to a lot of people who have tried no tipping, maybe come back from no tipping, are about to try it. Um, but I think it's it's really important for uh, kind of people who, who are in the restaurant management side of things to uh, be able to talk to each other too mm. and yeah, uh, figure absolutely. out how we're going to do it. I feel like New York is going to be the the kind of epicenter of yeah. where this starts. It's going to be the tipping point. Mm-hmm. Like if we do yeah. it first and it'll take like Danny Meyer and Andrew Tarlow and like EMP, like they all did it first and they can do it because mm-hmm. they have the sway and people will go there regardless. Now it's going to take that middle ground of restaurants like doing it and it's, so risky and it like for a restaurant that already like you know runs quite well with the tipping system um it's you know it's a big step to be like hey i'm going to completely change it and it's a cultural thing as well like we do a lot of talking to like our guests and the people who come to two hands regularly about it and a lot of people just they grew up like tipping and so that's what they want to do and and they have a misunderstanding um of like how people are rewarded and where those tips go and why they tip and i think the laws have been in place for so long that the culture has become misunderstood it's people don't really understand like why they tip um and so it's going to take like the businesses to you know really take that big step forward and take that risk for us to then change how the laws are written and once the laws are written like then you'll see everyone change mm-hmm. yeah one day um i have one more question for you and then we'll do some trivia uh you guys have very striking instagram images which i love your instagram feed um 
do you think that having like really striking photography and, and social media plays a big role in bringing people into your restaurant, whether it's new people or repeat people who see like, oh yeah, that looks awesome. I'm going to go again. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, for us, we feel like we, when we opened the cafe three years ago, we hit the time when the whole like food, Instagram, social media thing was just like exploding people standing on chairs taking pictures of their food and like all that shit gotta get high Um, everyone's a food photographer yeah and so we actually you know not being photographers ourselves um, we just would repost other customers photos that were you know of good quality and that created this sense of community for people that would come in and, have, you know, we'd be, you know, sh- showcasing their photography and thanking them for coming in or whatever. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And so we still to this day, you know, we go through our feed and, you know, we pick the kind of best photos that other people are taking, customers are actually taking of our food. The, you know, the odd photo we take of ourselves, of you know, of our, of our food or whatnot is pretty minuscule in what we yeah. actually post or you know sort of spend a lot of time on um so it is you know i think for the first couple of years it was such it was kind of all we did in a for a pr standpoint for you know promotional standpoint like it was all coming through instagram um you know, we had That's like awesome because it's free. Yeah, <laughs> we had this like shitty little you know website that you know did what it did, and you know that was kind of it. It was all through Instagram. If we were closed, if we were open, mm-hmm. if we had something on, or if we you know were doing something new, or had an event, or whatever, it was all going through Instagram. And um, I think it was great because it tapped into the the age group that we were speaking to as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. more than any other like media. Suddenly, like you had. 16 to 24 year olds who prided themselves so much on like being up to date with the newest coolest thing and uh and latte art and colorful (laughs) food was at that point in time like just it it was everyone was about it um and and being on instagram and taking photos uh and showing people that you were at this cafe and and taking cool photos um was just like the you know the number one thing for these young kids to do and what I mean, Henry and I were so blown away that people would come, like, all the way, you know, they came from, like, the Bronx and and Philadelphia and, you know, like, deep, deep, wherever they were from to, like, take these photos um, and, you know, and eat the food. That was a big part of it as well. (laughs) Eventually. Secondary. (laughs) Eventually. (laughs) But that they would, like, pride themselves on the fact that they'd come to our restaurant and that they would want to show their followers, whether small or large, that they'd been there. That that's like that was a big pat on the back for Henry and I because um, you know we wanted to thank every single person that, that walked into the cafe for those first like months and, and you know and even now it's it's a big deal and Instagram's such a positive from what I've seen like form of uh, advertising like no one's posting oh I just went to like this terrible restaurant. And like this That's is the food true. I got, or like I went on this terrible holiday, or look at my like terrible body. Like <laughs> <laughs> everyone's like showing their best face, That's and tr- which so is true. which positives is, and negatives from that. But yeah, 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 exactly. But you know, like yeah. people are like, hey, this is what I'm doing, and I'm proud of it. So like, it's not like Yelp where you're having to like monitor bad things coming through on it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And and so that was you know that was really encouraging for Henry and I, and uh, and it was also like a really cool way to extend our community beyond 
beyond the four walls mm-hmm. of our restaurant so that like once someone left it was like okay we can repost your photo and we can speak to you and we can like you know we can have a conversation and it suddenly became like two at two hands is like digital community uh, which is really really special and you know we've done like little Instagram like competitions and 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 meetups and whatnot like since it started and we've really found like great value in the in the platform that is instagram and um yeah i feel very very lucky that that what happened happened the way that it did and it was able to grow um as it has that's awesome i love that all right well we have a couple of quick trivia questions for you guys um and then we're gonna wrap up is it a competition between the two of us? Sure. <laughs> yeah. It's best it two be. out of three. Um, okay. I'm going to go a little out of order here. Um, what type of Australian cuisine does the term bush tucker refer to? Wichity grubs. What? What? <laughs> <laughs> that's, not, that's not wrong. No, I don't, that's not, I don't think it's wrong. A what did he want? Aboriginal? Wichity yes. grub. Yes. Oh. Is that the same thing? Well, they eat witchetty grubs. No, no. I don't know what that term means. Witchetty grub is like a little um, protein. I guess it's like a caterpillar. (laughs) I get it's like the closest the closest thing you could call to a caterpillar. It's like a white uh, bug, and it's about maybe two, three inches long and like an inch thick. And you find them in like trees and whatnot. And so that was it's like a yeah like a native like Aboriginal um, like snack. Cool. So, <laughs> bush tucker means like bush food or any food native to Australia and used for food or medicine by Aboriginal yeah. Australians. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Good. One to Henry. <laughs> ah. um, what was the name of the massive supercontinent that Australia was once part of? Ah, uh, Utopia. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> is it, uh, well... No, I've got nothing. Starts with a G. It's it's cheating to just be like Pangea. Genesis. It's not like, that. Not the that. Great, the Great Album. It's Gondwana Land. <laughs> oh, I knew that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've heard that. Is that something that you learn in like fourth grade or something? It's something you hear. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Like around the traps. Yeah. This is obscure trivia. <laughs> uh, we try. We try. All right. Last question. What are the key ingredients of a lamington? Coconut. Chocolate, coconut, and... Flour, obviously. Like... Strawberry jam. Spongy, spongy, sponge cake. Yeah! (laughs) Henry wins! Yay! It's like I wasn't even here. So, Uh, tell tell us, Henry, what is a lamington? uh, Well, a lamington is kind of like fairy bread. It's a very common uh, party treat. And uh, it is like sponge cake. And you can do it a couple of different ways, but sponge cake with like a chocolate kind of like icing... Uh, with coconut sprinkled on top. Sounds and then strawberry co- jam in the middle. And it kind of comes in like jam. a square or a rectangle. And yeah, it can have like strawberry and cream in the middle, like, you layered, know, yeah. uh, layered. And uh, it sounds kind of like Intamins. <laughs> no? Yeah, it's, thank you. It's like a Twinkie. Australian thing. <laughs> I mean, I think it's an it, Australian that thing. That too, yeah. Everything that, everything that is Australian, someone could say it was British. Well, <laughs> That's yeah. where everyone started. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Blunt thank you. That has been, uh, it's been a very, very educational hour. What I've yeah. learned is that you say you eat a lot of healthy food, but you also have some like you know a lot masterful about junk food. No, yeah. obesity is a big problem in Australia. Second to 
America. I'm not joking. It might even be first. It's wow. just might the kids, have even though. taken it's the gold like, medal in that. It's just the kids. The kids are getting <laughs> fat. It's like any like poor education, you know. Chippies. Chippies. Oh yeah. Hot chips Coca-Cola. with a little bit of vinegar. Mm, the Coke. Hello. Well, you have such cute names for yeah. all the snack food. I don't think it's helping. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> all right. Well, Henry, Giles, thank you so much for joining us. This thank has been a blast. I feel like I know so much more about Australia now. Um, I'm Kat Johnson. I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler. This and has been HR and Happy Hour. That's our show. See you next week. Thanks to our producers, Liz Mystic, Kenneth Forden, and our engineer, Dave Tadashore. We learned from Carrie. He's the only reason we keep coming back. All right, see you next week. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food Radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Fresh Pickings is a podcast by Heritage Radio Network, presented by Bob's Red Mill. Love learning about food? Get more superfood for your brain with the featured podcast miniseries, Fresh Pickings. Go to bobsredmill.com slash freshpickings. If I offered you a bag of nooch or a sprinkle of hippie dust, would you take it? If you're a pizza-loving vegan, you probably would. Today on Fresh Pickings, nutritional yeast and its various street names. What it is and why you should be putting it on your popcorn next time you go to the movies. Today I'll chat with Dave Arnold, co-host of Cooking Issues here on HRN, about what nutritional yeast actually is and what it is not. Then VLGL blogger Elizabeth Taylor is back to give us a recipe that uses nutritional yeast and for a bonus, chickpea flour. I'm your host, Kat Johnson. Thanks for joining us. So when I think of an every food topping, I'm usually thinking about parm, Parmesan cheese, Parmesan on pizza, on pasta, on a crunchy Caesar salad, even on my eggs in the morning. Or I might be thinking about ketchup because some people put ketchup on all of those things too. But what if cheese isn't your thing? Or we can all agree that ketchup on salad is pretty gross. Or what if it's just time to change things up a bit? 
Now, don't get me wrong. Parmesan will never go out of style and ketchup and fries belong together. But variety is the spice of life. So getting in on nutritional yeast is a great way to add some spice and umami to your life. So variety, that's great and all. And I know what yeast is, but what is nutritional yeast? It doesn't sound very food-like. This is David, our engineer, and that's a great question, David. So nutritional yeast is sort of like vegan cheese. It goes great on popcorn, and you can make vegan mac and cheese with it, but it's flaky. The folks over at Bon Appetit magazine called it nature's Cheeto dust, but unlike Cheetos, this is actually good for you. Hmm, that sounds intriguing. Still not sure what it is, though. Okay, if you can't be convinced by my flaky, umami, cheese-like goodness description and that it goes on everything, then I'm going to have to get an expert to weigh in. I'm all about flavor, but not so much about specifics. So I'm going to check in with Dave Arnold of Cooking Issues to find out more. Hi, I'm Dave Arnold of Cooking Issues, and I have a lot to say about nutritional yeast, and that goes way beyond Kat's accurate and tantalizing but pretty vague description. Okay, great. I needed someone to step in here. Thanks, Dave. Can you please explain what this stuff actually is? All right. Despite the strange name, uh, it's definitely uh, food. So nutritional yeast is the deactivated, you know, dead, they've killed it form of uh, Saccharomyces cerevisiae. Now, that's basically the same yeast that you would use to make bread, to make uh, beer. So it's, it's definitely common. It's not some weird, like, funky thing. It's like almost all the good things we like to eat or drink it's involved with. Not almost, but, you know, a lot of the good things we like to eat or drink are involved with it. So the way it's produced is, is first you, you culture to grow it in a warm, sweet medium the same way that they would do when they're making beer or as a first start to whiskey. Then after it grows, uh, they kill it basically, and dry it out, uh, and you could use it that way. So is it nutritious? Well, if you believe in nutrition as a form of measuring foodstuffs rather than just deliciousness, then uh, yes. I mean, uh, there's a, has a lot of, pr- I mean, remember, it's a, it's a complete organism, so it's got, you know, a lot of protein, so a quarter cup of it, which is quite a bit, actually, a quarter cup of yeast, but that's uh, eight grams of protein, three grams of fiber, and five grams of carbohydrates, that's off the back of the package. I don't know that stuff off the top of my head. It has lots of uh, micronutrients like thiamine, niacin, riboflavin, uh, B6, B12, zinc, folate. You know, so it's, it's also something good for, you know, vegans who can't get a lot of those things out of, because uh, they, they're not getting a animal-based diets or, or, or dairy-based diets. So it's, it's good to get those things that are hard, sometimes hard to get out of straight plant foods. So why does it taste savory and meaty? Uh, well, yeast, and so, uh, like, there's a bunch of different kinds of yeast, and yeast is actually one of the things that's used in commercial foods to provide meaty taste, different, but, you know, it's broken down to certain uh, degrees, so the protein in yeast, once it's, like, autolyzed or broken up, and a lot of yeast, after it grows and starts dying, will self autolyze right? So it can produce a wide variety of flavors, but protein breakdown products in particular from yeast can produce meaty aroma, meaty flavors, rather.
Hi, I'm Elizabeth Taylor, the creator of food blog VLGL.cooking. Today I have a recipe that uses not just one, but two of my favorite Bob's Red Mill products, chickpea flour and, of course, nutritional yeast. I'm so excited to have Elizabeth Taylor back to share another recipe with us. Elizabeth runs the blog VLGL.cooking, which is her collection of vegan, low-glycemic load culinary creations. In the last episode, Elizabeth explained the VLGL eating philosophy and gave us a killer recipe for grain-free granola. Let's see what she brought today. So Elizabeth, Bob's Red Mill makes a lot of products that fit into the VLGL philosophy, don't they? They sure do, Kat. In addition to being low glycemic, meaning that it won't cause a spike in blood sugar, chickpea flour is packed with plant-based protein, iron, selenium, and folate. Chickpea flour has a mild earthy flavor and I love to use it for all kinds of savory dishes like this chickpea flour omelet recipe. When you mix chickpea flour with water, spices, and baking soda and heat this mixture in a lightly oiled pan, it transforms into a hearty dish that can be enjoyed at any time of the day. These chickpea flour omelets are denser and more bread-like than an egg omelet, yet richer and sturdier than a crepe. They're great with savory veggies, and my recipe uses kale and juicy grilled tomatoes with chipotle powder. That sounds really delicious. So how are you using the nutritional yeast in this recipe? Nutritional yeast is one of my go-to seasonings. It brings true savory magic to vegan food. In this recipe, I use it to season the chickpea flour omelet for an umami flavor. Thanks so much to Dave Arnold for the yeasty science lesson and to Elizabeth Taylor for sharing her tips for using nutritional yeast. You can find her recipe for the chickpea flour omelet with chipotle grilled tomatoes at bobsredmill.com slash fresh pickings. Well, that's just about everything you could want to know about nutritional yeast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to check out our other episodes of Fresh Pickings and learn more about Bob's Red Mill's favorite ingredients, including some delicious recipes and great coupon offers by going to bobsredmill.com slash fresh pickings. Bob's Red Mill believes in good food for all. For Heritage Radio Network, I'm your host, Kat Johnson. Thanks for joining us.